Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 281 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcasts, or episode 15 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who is a future advocate of iced tea, Chris Baroche. Hey, Chris. Hot tea all the way for me. Hello, Robin. Yes, until it cools down, you put some ice on it, and it is just so delicious. It is Monday morning, April 19th. Chris and I are going to be talking about the Emola Grand Prix. And Chris, I think we should start with qualifying and how it was just the day of the teammate. Sergio Perez out-qualified Verstappen. Uh, Esteban Ocon out-qualified Alonso. And Valtteri Botas out-qualified both Williams drivers. Yeah, the big story for me was Vettel out qualifying Alonso in a repeat of the 2010 battle. But uh, but I guess the headline for most people was Sergio Perez managing to be the first Red Bull driver to out-qualify Verstappen since 2018. When yeah, Daniel since Ricciardo Daniel Ricciardo. Abu- yeah, in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was shocking, and of course, both both the Red Bull drivers, despite having the quickest car, some say, uh, were outqualified by Lewis Hamilton for his 99th pole position. It was interesting because even at the end of Q2, I was like, yeah, but Q3 in Bahrain, uh, Red Bull Racing uncorked something, and all of a sudden they were tenths, a few tenths up, and that just didn't happen this time round. It did seem like Max Verstappen was like, yeah, I made a mistake, and that's the reason why we weren't faster. Yeah, I think both drivers felt they could have got pole if they put a clean lap together in Q3. Perez mentioned a mistake on in the last corner, and uh, I think Verstappen wasn't very impressed with his own effort. But it was tight. I mean, just uh, less than half a second covered the top eight. Um, so it's really, in qualifying at least, really tightened up between the top two teams and, and the leading midfield teams, which is great. I mean, to see Lando Norris's name briefly jump up to P2 was, was pretty awesome. Unfortunately, he made a mistake, ran wide, had the time deleted and ended up down in seventh. But it just shows how certainly McLaren and Ferrari in the hands of Norris and Leclerc can, can get, almost get in the mix now. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I, I think we need to give a sh- real credit to Ocon as well, you know, because similar to uh, Max Verstappen, uh, somewhat at least, it been a couple of teammates and several, several Grand Prix since Alonso had been out-qualified by anyone. And Ocon was there, and he he was he started a few places ahead of Alonso did at at the start on Sunday. I uh, I thought it was a very mysterious weekend by Fernando. He wasn't impressive in quali, and he wasn't very impressive in the race. So um, you're right, Ocon definitely shaded him all weekend, uh, no doubt about that. And as did Stroll over Vettel. Um, and I mean, well, the other big news for me is Carlos Sainz, 11th. I mean, that, uh, that's a bit worrying for him to be so far off Leclerc's pace. I mean, Leclerc was just over three tenths from pole position and Sainz didn't make it into Q3. So yeah. uh, it, it looked ominous for Carlos um, in qualifying. And then uh, the, the, the biggest highlight for me, though, uh, as I am a huge Williams fan is both Williams cars in the into Q2 for the first time since 2019 and uh, with Russell you know knocking on the door of Q3 so that was tremendous effort Williams look like they've really turned a corner quite frankly yes but why are you just glossing over the fact that Valtteri Bottas outqualified both of them I mean, we could talk about Botas's weekend, I think, as we get into the race here. But to me, both his qualifying and race performance were were really extraordinary, especially as he'd shown pace earlier on in the weekend. I mean, he was quickest in, in free practice one, and he was, he was up there in free practice two, but yet just went missing on Saturday and Sunday, didn't he? I mean, it was a really, really poor weekend for him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... It- Ironically enough, George Russell definitely found him, but we uh, <laughs> were getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yeah, it was it was fascinating to see how uh, qualifying was fundamentally different than we're used to, just with these small changes in 
which teammate was doing what where that really made it more interesting than I'm used to. So that was nice to see, and I would love to continue to see wider variety in qualifying performance just for the sheer entertainment of it. So hopefully that is a sign of the coming fantastic 2021 season and not an anomaly. There's also, getting into Sunday, we had another big thing talk to talk about, which was temperature and weather. Yeah, I mean, it, it was raining on the formation laps. Um, well, sorry, the laps where the drivers go out from the pit lane to, to, to line up on the grid. Uh, and bizarrely, um, as Landon Norris said, in a, in a sort of reminiscent scenes of, of many times we've seen at Spa, it was wet one half of the track and dry on the other. That's and right. so, uh, and we also had um, both Aston Martins on fire, and uh, and it was all going on really. And, and the drivers were trying to figure out, you know, what tyres to start the race on, whether it was intermediate weather or full wets, and. Uh, and it was it was obviously tricky. I mean, we had uh, Charles Leclerc spinning at Aqua Minerale on the formation lap. Um, yes. So it was um, it was dodgy old weather. In, in the end, most drivers elected to start on Inters, with only Gasly and the Haas drivers electing to get start on wets, which turned out to be the wrong tire. Right, and uh, you know, Gasly, boy, he just he really he really felt that because again, he qualified where. Did, where did he he was qualified eighth? I think he lined. No, up? no, he was fifth. He was the fifth. he was the yeah fifth on the grid, fourteen point seven nine zero. So just over well less than four tenths behind Hamilton. A superb qualifying effort yeah. by Gasly. Yeah. And by the time he pitted, he was something like eighteenth. I mean, it was just this precipitous drop down the grid, I and mean, he was just he was just an absolute stone falling when uh, when it came to the actual race, but. Uh, I was genuinely nervous that the Emula race was going to be pretty darn sleepy. And the fact that it was cooler temperatures and also inclement weather, boy, oh boy, did that spice this race right up. I, it, was, it was definitely not boring. Oh, it was a cracking race, absolutely. And, and of course, all the talk before the start was of Sergio Perez's first ever front row start after 193 Grand Prix. And would he be able to beat Hamilton into the first turn? And as it turned out, you know, Max reminded everybody why why he, he is, uh, uh, you know, an absolutely great driver by absolutely nailing the start. And, and I mean, even though he had his left wheels, I think in the grass, uh, was able to, to get Hamilton down into the first chicane and then was completely uncompromising and pushed Hamilton over the curbing to, to defend uh, to defend his position and come out in a lead that he wouldn't relinquish for the rest of the race. And it was, yeah, tremendous. That's where he won it right there. They reckon he did it uh, second gear start. So he had no wheel spin. And you could see yep. he was just much, much quicker off the line than both Perez and Hamilton. Yeah, absolutely. And that that third to first run was absolutely impressive. As I think this, to a certain extent, is an American thing. Maybe it is even just me. But it seemed like Hamilton and Verstappen were more or less pretty much nose to nose. I'm how how is it not up to Verstappen to give Hamilton a lane to give Hamilton a like it seemed uncouth to me to just take the racing line and every I mean it was immediate everyone was like yeah he had the corner he had the racing line that doesn't make sense to me because Hamilton was right there the entire time. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he was fully off the track, Hamilton, because um, Verstappen gave him no space at all and, and was there, therefore forced to go over the sausage curbs, which damaged his wing and maybe his floor. And, and it was interesting when the, the, uh, you know, the, the little icon flashed up to say that that was being investigated and yet no, no, uh, no action was taken. And so Verstappen's uh, decision to take, you know, the entire width of the track was basically supported by the stewards. And, and I think that'll come back to haunt him because certainly Hamilton will have taken note of that. And when they find themselves in a similar situation, uh, inevitably later on this season, it's, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they touch or Hamilton, you know, does to him what, uh, what he did to 
uh, to, to Hamilton in that, that first corner. I mean, it was uncompromising. Max wanted the win, uh, knew that was dis, you know, would be a key uh, to, to winning the race. And so, you know, basically gave Hamilton a choice, crash or concede. Yeah, yeah. We had that brilliant start from Max Verstappen. And then uh, he not only did he have that start, he pulled a pretty darn decent gap right away. And it took several laps for Hamilton to get a real sense of where his car was at and or get his tires up to temperature to a place that he was comfortable. And, you know, then we could start having a real race. But all that was happening, which was cool to see amongst so many uh, other pieces of drama happening out throughout the grid. So to start, uh, just as you said, the Aston Martins both had brake trouble. It was a brake by wire issue as I understand it, and it was causing fires in their brake systems. And as a result, strolls got fixed just in time, I guess, but Sebastian Vettel once again had to start from the pit lane, and Vettel kind of had a compromised race from the beginning. And it really, it's, it's just showing that money and resources on their own don't just automatically get you good results. That team is in this transition point and genuinely seems to be struggling, Aston Martin Racing. And it's ironic because this time last year, they were, well, this this far into the season last year, they were, you know, quickly becoming not quite but near front runners, definitely the front of the mid-pack. And there was tons of uh, controversy, or uh, pardon me, controversy, over the uh, how close the racing point at the time car matched the Mercedes. And now Aston Martin is lucky to get out of Q3 or Q1. Oh, I think that's that's a very harsh assessment. I mean, Stroll, Stroll qualified uh, in the top 10. He didn't, he didn't uh, set a lap. I, I guess he you know, you're right, his laps, you're right. Yeah, both his laps in Q3, Q3 he right. exceeded track limits. And then he should have finished seventh. He got penalized. Uh, for passing Gasly through the gravel trap <laughs> so that the order was reversed and so Gasly got seventh. But I think Aston Martin is is not as bad as, as you make out. And I think Vettel is, is still getting up to speed. And he, you're right, he, he started from the pit lane and then he got hit with a 10-second stop-go penalty for oh, right, not, having yes. the, not having the wheels on the car um, You know, prior to the, the necessary time to start the race. So he got a double whammy there. But well, I think then Aston Martin also, aren't that far away. And then later on, he also got uh, penalized, Vettel did, for he spun off the track, got back on the track, and this was during a yellow. And as he spun off the track, two people went by him, and he passed them right back. And, oh, that uh, was Perez. Oh, was that Perez? Yeah, that was Sergio. Ah, Sergio had a torrid old race, but uh, but yeah, that, Sorry, Vettel I was confused. up to... Yeah, Perez made quite a few mistakes, and that you're right. He he, uh, he he spun off. He lost a couple of positions and regained them, and then he got a 10 second stop go penalty for that himself. So that's what really killed his race. Cause he finishing uh, he finished outside the top 10. But uh, I mean, the interesting uh, j- just to touch on on the start again a little bit more was it was fascinating how much quicker Max was. In, in the wet conditions at the start of the race. I mean, he pulled out, what, five seconds plus on Hamilton, yeah, which is exactly surprising right. in, the, in the sense that, you know, Hamilton is, like Max, regarded as one of the best wet weather drivers. Um, and I was reading an interesting point. Of course, Mercedes have lost the DAS, the dual axis steering system for this year. And it sounds like throughout the weekend, they were struggling to get the tires to temperature quickly. Uh, and that's been one of the one of the explanations for Botas's poor performance throughout the weekend that he just never got the tires in the right operating window. Um, so Hamilton, once he got the Inters up to speed, was able to match Max's pace. And in fact, um, you know, we saw towards the end of of that first stint where both were running on Inters before their first pit stop that Hamilton actually was a lot quicker on the worn intermediates. Um, in in the in the closing laps before they both pitted Um, in fact if Max hadn't pitted you know I think Hamilton would have been on his on his gearbox and looking for a pass Um, so you know Red Bull wisely brought Max in uh, at that point you know it looked like slicks were just about doable Um, and um, I think really the most impressive aspect of the race from 
from Max's point of view, was his pace on that first lap after switching to medium tyres because he knew he needed to put in a great first lap uh, because Lewis was flying on his worn inters. He, Lewis stopped one lap after Max and was flying on that final lap before he pitted. So Max on his out lap had to really nail it. So you're on slicks on a, on a damp to drying track and he didn't seem to make a single mistake and put in a lap quick enough to, to retain the lead. Now, Mercedes were bungled Lewis's stop. They were... Uh, they, they struggled with the front right, and that cost Lewis a couple of seconds. But I don't think that Lewis would have retained the lead anyway. Even if he'd come out ahead of Max on his on his cooler uh, medium compound tyres, I don't think he would have been able to keep Max behind him. So I think that was very decisive. But Max's lap was impressive. Very easy to make a mistake in those conditions. Yeah, totally agree. Briefly, I want to touch on uh, Nicholas Latifi. He started the race. He had his best qualifying, uh, best qualifying result uh, of his career. Yeah. And uh, he had a spin. Was it the opening lap? Yeah, the opening lap. Yeah. And, and then came out. And then he was hit by Mazepin. And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. But it turns out it was not Mazepin's fault. Uh, Latifi just kind of pinched Mazepin. He didn't really have anywhere to go. I think a really heads-up driver might have had a bit more insight and known to bob the other way, bob left instead of bob right. But mm-hmm. um, it, you know, nothing Max uh, Mazepin did was incorrect there. Uh, that was that was a shame. That was our first um, did not finish of the race. It was not the last. But um, I thought we should talk a bit about Valtteri Bottas and George Russell collecting each other. Well, hang on before before I think we get there. Let's talk a little bit about. So if we're talking about Hazes, I thought no, Mick Schumacher's crash on the start-finish straight was quite a good effort to continue Hazes' lamentable start to this season. Um, I mean, it looked like he'd made a mistake exiting the pit lane, but in fact, on the replay, he just lost it <laughs> going down the straight. That's right. Uh, under the safety car, it was a very um, George Russell-esque moment. I mean, he was trying to keep his tyres warm and, and just lost the back end and, and off he went into the wall. So that was a right odd mess and that, that brought out the safety car that, as you already mentioned, Perez cost Perez his, his chance for a good race because he, he, he made the mistake passing a couple of cars after going off. We then saw after the, after the pit stops where Verstappen and Hamilton are now both on, on mediums, we saw the, de, you know, the decisive mistake of uh, Hamilton trying to pass Russell on, on the wet line. He got off, you know, Russell didn't move over for him. And so Hamilton decided to dive down the inside to try and make the pass on Russell and, and keep the gap uh, tight to, to Verstappen. And, and then just went on. He, could, he had complete understeer, went off into the gravel trap. And, um, you know, it took him some time to figure out a way out of the trap, eventually reversing across it. And well, he was that's by, right. this time, he, by this time a he, lap down. He was, he, he eventually, he, he like nudged it in the first and he actually stopped before he hit the wall. And, uh, and then it seemed like he was trying to grab reverse, but he grabbed first gear instead. And then he tapped the wall. And then he had to very carefully do the 13 steps you need to do to get the car into reverse. And he did so, and he was very clever to, once he got into reverse, to be extremely careful about not spinning up the wheels and digging a hole for himself, and then just reversed himself all the way out of it. That that was very clever on Hamilton's part to mitigate that mistake. And you're absolutely right to follow this chronologically that um, Hamilton having that off put him a lap down in ninth place and it's ironic because what happened the next lap is absolutely what saved Hamilton's race but right so, um, so Russell's already caused the, the, the number one Mercedes to go off into the gravel trap by not getting offline so he then <laughs> follows that up on the following lap by then taking out the other Mercedes <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I mean, let's talk about the move. So first of all, I give Russell absolute credit. He's in 10th place. He sat behind Botas, you know, the guy he's fighting for, for the Mercedes seat for next season. But he, you know, I'm sure uppermost in his mind was to try and get in the points. And, and he, had a, he had a good run with the DRS. 
uh, on Botas and, and went for the move, which I applaud. I think he absolutely should be trying to make the pass there, right? And um, and he went for it. He, he was well under the wing of Botas. And then, of course, what happened was Botas was on the left going towards the first chicane. So uh, Russell goes to the outside on the right. And just as Russell gets alongside him, Botas slightly moves to the right, forcing Russell to move to the right onto the grass, which then spins him into the side of Valtteri's car. And they're both out in a pretty big shunt. So I saw it as a bit of a 50-50. What did you make of it? For me, and I, I feel like maybe I was just a touch sensitive already from the opening lap interaction between Verstappen and Hamilton. I put 60% of that on Botas because I really, I felt like he didn't move over a a lot, but Botas definitely did. Just as you say, he did slink right a bit and all of a sudden pinch Russell and he did so at an inopportune time. And it's once you, it's, once you have a line, it can be the middle, right, left, whatever, but you stick to it. No weaving. That that was my that was my take. So I thought that was more Botas than it was Russell myself. Yeah, I think Russell I think Russell overreacted a little bit. There's no doubt Botas moved to the right and I think Russell didn't need to compensate as much as he did. I think there was enough room, there was more than one car's width on uh, left on the track and he could have I think he could have kept all, all four wheels at least on the damp part of the track. Um, and uh, I think he just, he went too far and got onto the grass. So it was partly his mistake, but for, for sure, Botas didn't help the situation. He would have been better off just, just sticking to the left, as, as you said, and, and stick to his line. But uh, there's no doubt Toto Wolf was not impressed. And I think, you know, if prior to the shunt, you know, George is doing himself the world of good in terms of promoting, uh, getting himself in, in the frame for promotion to the Mercedes second seat for next year. But <laughs> taking himself and Botas out, uh, I think it's probably done him more harm than good because Wolf was, was pretty damning in his, uh, in his complaints after the race about Russell's actions. He wasn't, he wasn't expecting a driver to take his, uh, you know, a driver who he manages to take his other driver out, that's for sure. Do you, I, I have to be honest, I, I didn't see Toto's statement. Uh, can you elaborate on what he said a little bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can paraphrase. I mean, essentially it was, you know, you need to think a little bit more about the bigger picture. Yeah, okay, you're, you're in the heat of battle trying to make the pass, but at the end of the day, you're, you're, a, you're a driver that races for a team that's powered by Mercedes up against another Mercedes car, and you should be you know, maybe more on the caution side uh, in your thinking and, and not put yourself in a difficult situation where, you know, you have one dry line and maybe you just let your, you, you'd only just recently pitted for tires. You need maybe need to let the track dry out a little bit more and, and bide your time to make a pass it where there's less risk is essentially what he was saying. Uh, so he didn't seem to be impressed that, that Russell went for it and caused the elimination of both cars. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, basically he said he's still got a lot to learn. So I thought that was pretty, that was, you know, pretty strong comment. The inference being, yeah, he's not the finished article, doesn't deserve promotion to to the number two seat. But then, you know, the other thing, you know, can you accept too many more weekends? If, if this performance of Valtteri's over the course of the Imola weekend is gonna be what we could expect for the rest of the season, I don't see him keeping that seat for the rest of the year. I mean, that was just, you cannot, you cannot be that far off the pace. I mean, that was a, that was an Albon Gasly-esque performance um, in the number two Mercedes. That's unacceptable. You cannot be, I know that if, if the, if the DAS is causing problems with tire temperatures, you know, you've got to find a way around it. You've got to find a way to be competitive. And he was not, I mean, you can, why he still was so slow after multiple laps into the Grand Prix and hadn't found a way to get the tires to temperature is, uh, I just, it's extraordinary. A really awful weekend for Botas. He's got to find some pace quickly to, to save himself, I think. I mean, this could be not just losing Mercedes seat, it could be losing his Formula One career because that was really awful. He should not be fighting with Williams <laughs> over ninth place. I was with you until the very end where I think you got, now I'm going to accuse you of being a touch on the harsh side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um but generally speaking I, I'm I'm with you. I you know Botas he talks about having that the right mental attitude for his racing, being more selfish and doing more to just look after himself and be competitive. 
but boy, you can, I think you can see just how worked up and tense he is because yeah, that performance was struggled and slow all at the same time. And just as you're saying, you know, he just could not get to terms with that car while his teammate is well off in the distance. You know, I, you know, where did, where did Botas qualify? Maybe Botas was the one that was eight. Yeah, he was eight. That's right. And uh, so you, you put the car eighth when your teammate puts it on pole and there's no like obvious mistake or mitigating circumstances that happen. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not subtle. And the the fact that he didn't, the fact that he didn't quickly pick off a couple people in the race and get himself at least, you know, into the top five or something like that. No, he was, he was going backwards if anything. Uh, absolutely. It it was, it was, it was rough. And yeah. And that accident happened not because he was lapping George Russell and it went wrong. No, Russell, as you rightly described, Russell was trying to pass him on merit on track. I agree that the specific circumstances, Russell didn't see the big picture, but at the same time, I think that Botas didn't have to make that move. And the fact that Botas put himself in that position in the first place is the real cause of that accident in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I'm being so critical is, is you know, Botas has demonstrated he's, he's almost on Hamilton's pace most of the time in qualifying, but his race pace has always been a little bit off Hamilton's. And then we've seen before, and, and I'll, uh, I'll cite um, 2020 Monza as an example, where uh, Botas, when he's further down the order, is unable to make passes and get the, you know, get the car back where it belongs. And, and we saw that again yesterday where he qualified poorly, but with a Mercedes, you should be able to beat the McLarens and the Ferraris at the very least. So he should have been moving up to get into into a you know, fourth or third type position. Instead, he was going backwards. So you could argue, well, maybe it's the characteristics of the Mercedes that it's hard. You know, it's quick and clean air, but, you know, in dirty air, it's not not as effective and it's hard to pass. Well, Hamilton showed that you can you can pass cars in a Mercedes. And, you know, he he did it before last year in in Monza and he did it again yesterday. So he was able um, from a ninth position at the restart to get to second. And he made mincemeat, quite frankly, of some of the cars, particularly the Ferraris. And of course, he was he was aided by the drag reduction system. But you know, he went, he was he was quick, and he was very decisive in his passing, and he managed to salvage second place. And and Botas just doesn't seem to be able to extract that pace or make the the overtakes. And that's a worry for Mercedes if they want to. You know, it's close in the constructors' championship, two races in. And if Perez is going to perform better in the Red Bull than the previous drivers have done, then Mercedes need both drivers to be maximizing points every weekend to, to, to win the championship. So that's why I'm wondering if Botas continues to perform like he did at Imola, you know, he's going to be struggling to hang on to his seat. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, that specific part is fair. I, you know, I think that Botas is a really strong driver and I think just needs to get in a better mental state. And I do think that Botas would have people interested in him in a Formula One seat were Mercedes to show him the door. But uh, that's that's the point where I'm like, oh, well, come on. He deserves a Formula One seat. But um, uh, here's what here's where all the irony of everything you just said. Think about what you just said, because it was because of Russell and Botas conducting each other that Hamilton had a fighting chance to recover from <laughs> absolutely from his off so that's that's the huge irony in all of this oh so russell was making amends for causing hamilton's spin initially <laughs> that's by right. causing the red flag the only mistake he made was he took out his fellow mercedes driver <laughs> i got it now <laughs> yeah but i mean think about it honestly because uh, hamilton was a lap down and nine so mm-hmm. uh, because of the red flag, he was able to get his lost lap back. That's the only reason. And because he was able to get his lap back, that's why he was able to make those passes in the first place. Do you know what I'm saying? So No, that's a, that's a very good point. That, that did salvage Hamilton's race, no doubt. He would have ended up 
yeah, eighth or ninth at best. Otherwise, that's very true. Right. So it's more than a little ironic that what looked to be incredible misfortune was actually part of what made it not all bad. And uh, Toto Wolff still had a car on the podium as a result. And it was performances that Hamilton pulled off that allowed him to get to second place and get fastest lap. And that's what allowed Hamilton to retain the championship lead by a single point because he also had fastest lap. So he got 19 points, not 18 on the weekend. That's, that's right. I mean, we, we did have the fantastic sight of Verstappen almost losing it at the last corner prior to the restart after the that's red flag. Right, that's right, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of mistakes yesterday. I mean, we can go up and down the, the, the whole grid and the number of mistakes that were made, but that was a staggering one. And he, he was a very lucky boy to get away with that. Yeah. I mean, it cost him nothing because he still, he basically, the other drivers let him gather the car up. So first of all, he didn't beat you on the curb, which he could have easily, I've seen that happen before. He got off the curb, managed to get the car under control. No one passed him. Um, and so then he was still able to control the pace prior to the green flag. But that could have been a colossal uh, mistake to throw away the win at that point. After doing all the hard work, as we've talked about, he was excellent up until that point. That was a huge mistake. And then he was flawless after it. But, but I'm sure that was a real heart-in-the-mouth moment for him. Well, so you're talking about mistakes. I think we do need to talk a bit more about Sergio Perez. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> You know, he he had the strong qualifying position, then he had some issues, and then he was, uh, after the red flag and things had restarted, Perez was running strong and in the top five. I believe he was fourth. And after being in fourth place where the race was drifting towards its final, the final laps of the race, he just... He just he just lost it, and it just one mistake piled on after another after another. He was in fourth. He left the track and lost several positions, and then, just as you said, he was then he he left track. A couple people passed him. He passed him right back. Got a penalty, and then he went off the track again. I mean, it was just one thing after another after another, and it, it, so Perez really just lost his cool and really paid for it. Yeah, I mean, at the restart, you had Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, Perez, uh, and Saints with the top five. And, and we had some different tyre selections there, Norris being on the soft compound, but I think everyone else were, was on the mediums. And everyone else on you, top, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, as you said, you would expect Perez to be thinking, well, I should be able to get a podium here, if not, you know, second place. And um, and it didn't go well at all. And it was very reminiscent of Albon's lamentable performance at the same track last season where he lost it in the same chicane as Perez did. And Perez yeah. went off on his own. You know, there were cars around him, but it, nobody touched him. There was no contact. And he spun off and rejoined in 14th and threw, threw away his race. I mean, it was a shocking mistake to make. And after such a promising qualifying effort, and as we rightly, you know, applauded his, uh, his out-qualifying of Verstappen, I mean, I think, you know, the expectation was his qualifying pace may not be at Verstappen's level, but his race pace would be pretty close. Well, on the evidence of yesterday, that's, that's just not the case. I mean, it was, it was a poor, poor effort. And yeah, okay, it was tricky. And we saw a lot of mistakes. I mean, Carlos Sainz at one point, whenever we cut to his car, he was off the track um, <laughs> and seemed to be having a real, real hard time of it. And yet somehow he brought it home, you know, just a couple of seconds off his illustrious teammate. But Perez, yeah, I mean, even even once he got going again, seemed to only be down to sort of like Sebastian Vettel and Aston Martin pace. I mean, what's the deal with that? <laughs> he was really struggling. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I have no defense for him. I was kind of shocked. I was, because, you know, 15 minutes before the end, I was like, yeah, see, look at Perez go. Second race in, and he's always showing, he's already showing real promise with the team. And then it just fell off a cliff, and it was frustrating to see because one mistake kind of insinuated another and it just it was a downward spiral it seemed obviously he collected he ended up finishing 11th he did finish the race but it it was rough so uh it, it was tough to see hopefully he, he can improve in a couple weekends time now 
Let's go to brighter news and Lando Norris. As you mentioned, he was the lone top driver that elected to go on softs after the red flag as opposed to mediums. And boy, did he put in a performance. Yeah, I mean, Norris was really beating himself up after his mistake in qualifying and uh, really made amends in the race. I mean, it was it was interesting how he quickly got up onto, you know, behind uh, Daniel Ricciardo early in the race uh, when he was on Inters. And McLaren made the very inspired decision to swap the order. They, they told Ricciardo to let Lando pass to see if he had extra pace. And boy, and well, he Lando certainly, was certainly did. heavily encouraging that decision. He's like, hey... <laughs> Let True. me buy, yeah. But yeah, I mean, at the at the restart, Norris, um, you know, just took off on his softs, which is you know not entirely unsurprising, um, and and took Charles. But I guess the expectation was that the you know, soft would degrade quicker and that the Ferraris would be able to come back at him. But they never, they never looked like even getting close to making a pass on him. Uh, well, I mean, hold on, clearly, though. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it, that's not giving him enough credit. Because the softs were falling off a bit, and the Ferraris were coming back at him. In fact, uh, as Hamilton was closing in on Carlos Sainz, and indeed after Carlos Sainz on Charles Leclerc, also Leclerc was within DRS range of Lando Norris. And Norris was put under lots of pressure by the Ferraris, um, several laps up to until he was getting pressure from Lewis Hamilton as well. I would have been like, you know, good on Lando for keeping the car underneath him. We're still in damp conditions. His tires are probably degrading faster than everybody else's. But no, it was way more than that. He was he was defending his position with GRS activated and pressure from Leclerc, and he was able to fend that off. And then when Hamilton did finally reach Lando, Hamilton needed several laps to get past him because Lando was placing the car perfectly in the middle of the track to make Hamilton have to really work for it. So... This that was the most impressive drive I've seen from Lando in his career. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, certainly the McLaren uh, was very quick down the main straight in the main DRS zone, and Ferrari, although fair. They've, fair, they've, fair. they've made progress, Ferrari even with the DRS was never, you know, Charles was never able to get a good run at him in the first chicane. But do you think they should your... try burning some oil with the <laughs> with the gasoline and the? You think they've tried that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think they want to revisit that anytime soon. <laughs> Didn't work out too well for them. But I, I mean, to your point, though, you know, clearly the reason why the McLaren was quick was probably they're running slightly less downforce. So that meant that, you know, his margin for error on a damp track around the rest of the, the circuit was, was, you know, minuscule. And yet he was able to do exactly what he needed to be just far enough ahead entering the DRS zone to hold off the Ferraris for, as you said, multiple laps. I mean, Charles had DRS for at least a half a dozen consecutive laps. And in fact, Charles's DRS was enabling to keep ahead of Hamilton because Hamilton was getting DRS on Charles, but Charles was getting DRS on Lando. And so exactly Hamilton right. took, a, took a while to be able to make the pass on Charles. Um, and But no, I thought it was great. I mean, Lando defended uh, robustly on Hamilton, but wasn't out of order and you know didn't compromise his chance of a podium and drove a, a, yeah, a really, really strong race. So that was a great comeback after his you know disappointment of Saturday. He definitely shaded Daniel Ricciardo. Um, and so Daniel's yeah. got some work to do to, to get up to his level in the McLaren, that's for sure. Lewis Hamilton did eventually pass him. It was on lap 60. And Hamilton did indeed close in on Verstappen and in in the effort of doing so got the fastest lap of the race, which was probably he was so many several seconds behind. He he was probably just going for fastest lap of the race more than anything. But uh, he did a really good job. One last little thing that happened uh, towards well, just, the end of the race. To touch um, on, just to touch on that, sorry, fast. Oh, sorry. Yeah, check, please go on. I, I did check out the times. Hamilton was almost nine tenths of a second quicker than Verstappen on his fastest lap, and they both set their quickest laps on on lap sixty. Um, I did read that Hamilton had the benefit of of DRS on his lap, which they reckon was worth around four tenths. But that's still quite a large margin, four five tenths of a second. At, you know, with tires in exactly the same compound, same condition, same fuel load. Um, so it shows that Mercedes still has really good inherent pace this year. 
Um, so who's got the best car, I think, is going to be debated strongly from one race to the next. Um, well, and I think it may very well also be different from one race to the next as they both develop and uh, compete into the season. Well, and even one phase of the race or one portion of the weekend to another, right? You might have yeah. one slightly better in quality, another one at certain phases of the race. So it's going to be it's going to be a tight old uh, battle throughout the season. Well, I think. and I mean, this is just uh, I'm not I haven't dug deep into this or anything, but is there something to colder temperatures and inclement weather and having high rake or low rake in your cars? I wonder if there's any connection there, and that's extremely oversimplifying it but you see what i'm getting at like maybe the weather conditions favored the mercedes a little bit um this time around and it could well, go the other way um well interestingly in to that to that point one one thing i was reading was that maybe the operating window of the mercedes is much narrower than the red bull so in extreme heat so mercedes struggled you know in the desert uh, in bahrain and they also struggled in the cold of Imola because they want a nice, you know, middle ground of temperature, not too hot, not too cold. Whereas the Red Bull seems to be able to accommodate greater swings in temperature. Um, certainly Max was able to get his tires working much quicker than, than Hamilton. That's and, definitely and, true. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so in the cold conditions, you could say the Red Bull had an advantage in that in those first couple of laps. So, but yet the other the other thing you could say is that the the tire degradation on the Mercedes was 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 less or better than on the Red Bull. That's why Hamilton was so quick on the worn inters just before the pit stops. So you're going to see, you know, maybe Verstappen's able to pull out a gap in certain scenarios, and then after a few laps, Hamilton, you know, the, the advantage may swing to Hamilton, and and therefore he could be quicker. So it's going to be. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, but the, the Mercedes certainly looks a lot trickier to set up and get get working really well, uh, which definitely hands Red Bull an, uh, an early advantage. And it was important that Red Bull got the win. Um, I think you know, with everything that went on this weekend, even though they didn't get you know pole position, they needed to get the win with a car that's clearly working very well and competitive now with Mercedes. And and so it, it must be a relief to Max to get uh, to get that first win on the board. Yeah, absolutely. So one little point I was just going to make right before it, it was lap, I believe, 62, where uh, Mr. May Amazing Spin uh, put in his daily requirement and, um, and, uh, and spun the Haas. But, uh, you know, just, uh, just a fun little quip to point out at the end there. It was, it was a fantastic race, and I think we were just all just blessed gifted um from the skies by having the rain and the weather that we did i that just totally woke up imola i was really nervous for this race to be a procession and boy it was anything but absolutely i mean so just a couple of other points so we had uh the, obviously the podium was verstappen hamilton norris we then had the two ferraris in fourth and fifth daniel got sixth place but then uh interestingly enough Seventh uh, and eighth were Gasly and Stroll. Now Stroll made the pass on Gasly, but that was then reversed, as we talked about earlier, because he made the pass through the gravel trap, and that was deemed to be a, a lasting advantage. So the stewards took that away from him. And then we had the two Alpines, Ocon and Alonso. So Alonso scored his first point for uh, Alpine since his return, or Renault since his return to Formula One, and that was gifted to him because uh, Kimi Raikkonen also got penalised um, at the. Uh, at the uh, end of the race. Uh, right. So Raikkonen got a penalty because he he spun behind the safety car, one of the many drivers to do so, and, and rejoined in the wrong position, then didn't get back to his right, right position before uh, the safety car line. So then he should have taken a penalty, which would have been a drive through the pit lane, which he didn't take. So they, they penalized him at the end of the race. So he dropped down to 13th place. That's right. Driver, That's right. There was a, it, this will be handled after the race. I remember that warning now. Yeah. Yeah, and so so Alpha Romeo lost the opportunity to score points there, which could be, you know, I don't the battle between Alpha, uh, Haas, and Williams to score that one elusive point that will probably give them eighth in the championship uh, for the constructors. Uh, they missed that uh, opportunity, unfortunately. Um, but the other driver we should comment on is Sonoda, who finished twelfth. Which ah uh, yes, 
you know, this was a guy who, you know, was being highly talked about after his amazing effort in, the, in his debut at, uh, in Bahrain. He had a bit of a calamitous weekend. He crashed in Q1 um, and, uh, and therefore started, he would have started dead last. Um, and even in his efforts to get up through the field, um, managed to have a spin at the restart. Um, so, yeah, he had a bit of a torrid day and finished uh, down in 12th. So he learned probably a lot. Um, from from his second Grand Prix ever, but um, you know the Has going back to the Hazes for a second. I mean, they finished two laps down in half a Grand Prix. <laughs> That's a bit worrying. Yeah. No, I, mean, I they really I, have I, no pace at all. Right. I think Haas. You know, they're going to be they're going to be the 2021's Minardi for us. I mean, it's just it's not good where they're at, and just Gene Haas is not putting any investment into this team especially this season and they have two of the least experienced drivers and uh, a car that is not fast from the off and not being developed it's not going to get better (laughs) so (laughs) the writing's on the wall for Haas I'd say yeah but you know you don't like to see any one team that far off the pace of everybody else, do you? I mean, we saw that with Williams in 2019 and it wasn't a good look. And, and I was hoping that Haas would be a bit more competitive, but with the two rookies um, and, and, and their underdeveloped car, it's looking like it's going to be a tough year. And I mean, the thing is, is that if they don't make a huge leap forward next season, it'll be for what? You know, I mean, they're really putting huge pressure on themselves now that they're really going to make a big move up the order next year if they're putting all their development behind... Uh, behind the, the rule change um, and if they don't pull it off uh, it's it's worrying times yeah couldn't agree more well just a little bit of uh, planning for podcast coming up the next formula one race is uh portugal portimao which i'm definitely looking forward to the race itself is going to be may 2nd and chris and i are going to do our level best to get a podcast out covering that race result um as soon as we can Next weekend is going to be uh, a podcast about IndyCar. The IndyCar opening race was this weekend, just as Imola was taking place. Um, IndyCar was getting ready, and it was Chip Ganassi driver Alex Palu, um, or uh, some sort of pronunciation that is P-A-L-O-U, won the race. Um, But we're going to talk more about that and uh, the second IndyCar race, which is just the following weekend. Um, they raced in Alabama uh, yesterday, and they're going to be in St. Petersburg, Florida for this coming weekend. We're going to talk about both of those races as well as share my interview with team owner Michael Shank of Meyer Shank Racing. Very, very nice of him to spend the time chatting. We had a good conversation about IndyCar and his plans just a couple years ago. Michael Shank Racing ran, well, a few years ago, Michael Shank Racing ran GT3 cars around IMSA. Now he's running a prototype car around IMSA and an IndyCar, full-time IndyCar season, and a second IndyCar for six races with none other than Elio Castroneves behind the wheel. So he he's moving up in the racing team owner world, and he, it was a great chat. So very much looking forward to sharing that with you guys and talking a bit about IndyCar. One one final tidbit, though, uh, yes, before please. you wrap up, is, is the news that broke over oh the weekend. Oh, my gosh, that, yes. That Miami, my God, please, yes. Yeah. Miami will be hosting my Miami will be hosting a Grand Prix starting in 2022 and it's a 10-year deal uh, so this is going to be up in in the Miami Gardens uh, around the Dolphins uh, Hard Rock Stadium car park which doesn't sound great but the track layout is a 19 turn uh, track with uh, a projected 138 mile per hour average speed with three DRS zones. So, um, are they going to use uh, orange cones to lay out the track? Is it going to be a mega <laughs> autocross course? Is this, is this no, the it's Formula not, One Jim Connor? It's not quite to that level. I mean, there's I think a lot of older Formula One fans will remember, and this is even going before my time. The the efforts to host a race in the Caesar's Palace car park in Las Vegas wasn't yep. wasn't a, a great a great win for the sport right. i guess the the expectations is that that this track will have the feel of sort of melbourne um that it'll be you know they are investing in significant facilities to to give it a proper f1 um track 
uh, type and status, but but it will obviously still be temporary because there's a lot going on in in that car park. There's uh, uh, obviously an NFL team is based there. There's a tennis tournament held there. There's a whole thing, a lot of things going on in that area. But uh, but no, it looks like they've tried to develop a really decent track. And and from from my perspective, having a second race in the US is fantastic news. And um, so for all of us uh, US-based F1 fans, it's great that there'll be a choice from, I mean, I love Circuit of the Americas and I love going to Austin, but it's great to have another Grand Prix here in the US starting from next year. Agree with all of those sentiments. Um, you can't see me, but I have my skeptical face on and uh, <laughs> we will see it. We will see it when it happens because I'm just thinking of many, many, many races that happen Um in parking lots effectively and boy i'm nervous for this so yes money if the if enough money was put in the right places and it's built up in the correct ways it has potential but you know the the race track that they put together just outside of new york city with the manhattan skyline that really what had potential this makes me very nervous parking lots don't tend to have much elevation change and uh, I hope they do take the time to remove the um, the wheel stoppers at the front of the parking spaces before they <laughs> let them out. <laughs> yeah, it could, could be a slight hazard to the front wing. You're right, but uh, I mean the, the track layout looks looks reasonable enough. You know, they almost got limited space, but but it does look like they've made some effort. I guess they evaluated uh, dozens of different track configurations. And there were some limitations imposed on them by the local community. You didn't want one of the main arterial roads being being removed from their public use during a Grand Prix weekend. So that limited them a little bit more. Um, but it does look like they've they've made the best of what they have. But you're right. I mean, we'll have to see how it works out. I think having having an opportunity to see F1 cars uh, without having to fly internationally is, is not a bad thing, though. A fair point, fair point. But it, it is also still true that the closest race for both you and I, Chris, is in Montreal, Canada, and uh, that will remain the case um, even if this race goes on and it goes off and turns out to be a cracker. Um, But uh, we will keep an eye on that and discuss more as we learn more, but in the meantime, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. And, of course, do not forget our title sponsor, my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash c slash Robin Warner, where I'm reviewing all kinds of crazy cool cars. I was very recently in an 2020 Audi SQ7, which is a 500-horsepower, twin-turbocharged, 4-liter V8 SUV. It is not slow. It is a lot of fun, and uh, you should check it out. But, uh, Chris, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.